0: Welcome to Andy a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week, we're discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 7, But To Connect. First, a quick apology, it's New Year's Eve as we record, it's New Year's Eve evening, I should say, where I am. So if you hear any noise, that's just my neighbors having a party, and also I'm two drinks in and have a cocktail beside me. And Annika, you've just woken up.
1: Yes, it's (laughs) 5am, and I am awake, (laughs) I'm up, so hey hey, and I also only watched this episode at 11pm last (laughs) night too, because it's New Year's, and we're celebrating.
0: I'm very grateful for both your late night effort and your early morning presence. And I think that if Star Trek wants us to have profound and considered and well-organized thoughts, they should not be running new episodes over the holidays. They should give us a week off. I mean... (laughs) Once again, they could have started Discovery
1: in January. It's, it's fine it's fine it was a good episode it was a great mid-season finale yes last week I said we really needed to amp up the tension
0: and they did that in a way that I did not expect which is literally an episode that is just about people in a room talking to each other and giving speeches and as the title says connecting and mm. that is not what I expected
1: yeah it's funny because it's quieter than you would expect a mid-season finale to be, or even just an episode of Discovery Mm. to be. We've gotten used to the big cinematic push. Yes. And this really depended entirely on these people selling what they were doing and the consequences and the tension all on their own.
0: And it relied on us knowing them and caring about them because after four seasons if you are not connected with these characters then this episode is probably really boring and unpleasant for you and i'm sorry because you've missed out on some good shit.
1: i'm thinking about how that a uh, whole you know giant room mm. how it was all filmed because they weren't all there you know it was like there are different floors. Like, I don't think that that room exists, is I guess what I'm saying,
0: in no, reality. No, I think there was definitely green screen happening.
1: And so it's interesting to think about how many people were in a room at a time, especially uh... with COVID precautions and everything, and yet they were still able to put it all together and make it cohesive.
0: I loved them. The costumes were amazing. The makeup was great. Trek Corps compared it to the Met Gala, which I agree with
1: (laughs) yeah there was that one woman with the chainmail yes arms which I always loved chainmail arms (laughs) science fiction shows really love to bring them out and Mm. it's always fun for me so I enjoyed it
0: the Orion contingent I thought looked particularly great but also the Vulcans and the Romulo Vulcans were sharp as always it was just visually very satisfying
1: lots of giant crazy shoulders. So
0: many great shoulders. <laughs> so many so
1: many great shoulders. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know we usually do our costume talk last, but uh, I was left to do the show notes and I don't think they were very good, so can I just flag how I thought the Ferengi outfit was super sharp and also very much in conversation with the sort of things that Quark wore.
1: I can see that, like the color scheme and just sort of the way it all fell together yeah. You could see that it was still Ferengi. It was interesting seeing all of the different races and thinking about, you know, how they got all of these different races to get together at, at yeah. this juncture, you know, that the Federation is still sort of in its new infancy. So everybody was familiar, but also not. And that was fun.
0: To us and each other.
1: Right. And I really liked the the design of how the room was put together. It's like the expanded round table, you know? Yes. Different layers and tiers and floors,
0: I guess, all gathered around a mezzanine. It was really interesting, and I would love to know about the set design, and as you say, how much of this is actually real and there and how much was
1: just green screened. Good job, set design, production design, costume design. Everybody was really pulling out their (laughs) A-game for this big scene.
0: Yes, and then we had the big important plot, which was the Federation and allied worlds agreeing what to do about the DMA and Ruon Tarka jumping in at the last minute with his horrible suggestion of disabling it, and then book making... I was so intrigued by his plea for the destruction of the DMA because I genuinely don't think it came from anger. I don't think this is a contradiction of what he did last week. I think he's motivated here by guilt and a genuine desire to prevent further death rather than a desire for vengeance.
1: Yes, in that he was... The argument that he put forth was, I don't want what happened to me to happen to you.
0: Yeah, and I think that's manipulative, but also sincere.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, look, Book should not even have been at this meeting. I understand that as a representative, he should, but he's not in the right place to make this decision, and... Allowing him to be the face of it complicates.
0: It's hard. At the same time, you know, even if there are other survivors of Kweijon, even if there's a group of them who is to say that what they're saying would be any different, it's hard. And I don't want to say that because he's biased, he shouldn't have a place at this table. Obviously, I think he's wrong, but I think he's coming at it from a good place. Or at least an understandable place.
1: You understand book more than you do, say, Earth.
0: Yeah! Earth is really genocide-happy, and it worries me.
1: Andor voted to destroy, which makes perfect sense. It's very in keeping with what we know about the Andorians. The moth people were... Yes, uh, yes. uh, I was (laughs) amazed to see the moth people again, (laughs) but it was also heartwarming it's like yes could, a lot of people are here they're a part of the group now I noticed
0: that the Trill were a little bit genocide happy I guess genocide is the wrong
1: word but in favor of destroying the DMA no questions asked it was interesting but then like the Ferengi voted with us to not destroy it you know it's like oh I, I want to think about these things I do want to know if books even talk to any other survivors because yeah. there have to be other off-world Kweijonites.
0: I know that the implication has always been that most people from Quajon don't leave, but it seems unlikely to me that he'd be the only one, especially when they've been dealing with the Emerald Chain and the trade in Tranceworms. There must be others, unless they're all jerks and he has deliberately cut himself off from them, and... That would actually kind of make sense because he was estranged from his culture and closely allied with the Federation until now. I guess, in a way, this is a question that I'm happy to have saved for the rest of the season.
1: Oh, yes. I'm not saying that that got in the way of this storyline. It's no, just sort of not interesting at all. to think about. And again, I really feel that Michael, that mm-hmm. someone who cares about a book, should have intervened and said, maybe you don't want to be a part of this.
0: It's interesting that Michael never so much as hinted that and I think it's because she knows that if someone ever said that to her she would just be even more present and even more aggressively pursuing her agenda and even book compares it to Michael's dealings with the Klingons way back in the premiere and I think that the comparison is wrong but it's not
1: unreasonable that that's interesting because I like to think about how much they've talked about these things.
0: Yeah! It comes back to the conversation which I deleted from our last episode, which is how much does Book know about Ash Tyler? Yeah. This is all complicated and interesting, and my note here is that Ruan Taka is the worst, and I stand by that, but I don't think he's necessarily a bad guy. I don't think there are necessarily any villains in this scenario.
1: So this is going to be a really weird comparison. But Ruan Tarka and his discussion of his scientist friend, lover, yeah, and, you know, what he's doing now, yes, reminded me of Gundam Wing. Go on. Which is an anime, and there's like 800,000 Gundams, and Gundam Wing is really the only one that I've spent any time with, so I can't speak to any of the rest of it. But in this particular one, there are a group of scientists... Mm -hmm. One from each colony, who are taken sort of by the bad guys, let's call them the Emerald Jane, and forced to create weapons of mass destruction. So far, so good. And so what happens is that they covertly also create weapons of mass destruction for their own people. And then they give them to five teenage boys.
0: The most logical choices, yes. (laughs) Who else would you give weapons of mass destruction to?
1: So the way that he was talking about his scientist friend was very boyfriend. Was very reminiscent of this we were a bunch of very intelligent people who were stolen by the Emerald Chain and forced to work for them and create horrible things and we decided to rebel but we decided to rebel in a completely ridiculous way (laughs) in a way that has nothing to do with anything it's like you don't decide I'm going to get back at these guys by building a giant robot I'm putting a teenage boy in it Like, that is not the answer, ever. Obviously, in the Gundam universe, of course it is. Of course. In, you know, most of anime, of course it is. But in reality, (laughs) that is not the best answer. And his completely ridiculous, we are going to run away to another universe idea. Like, that's what you come up with? Like, (laughs) I understand that they want to get out of their situation as badly as possible, but that's really taking it to the furthest extreme. We're not just going to escape
0: the Mm -hmm. Emerald Chain. We're
1: not just going to escape this system, this star system. We're going to leave this universe. And that's totally logical. And I need the amount of energy (laughs) (laughs) that destroys a planet in order to do it. So I'm going to hijack someone else's weapon of mass destruction (laughs) in order to power my universe jumping engine. Nothing about that is logical in any way. I am three cocktails in and
0: can confirm that is stupid. What it made me think of was people going, oh, I'm moving to Canada after every us election that's won by republicans or the australian version oh i'm moving to new zealand it's just that expression of i'm going to leave and i'm not going to do anything at all to make the universe i'm in a better place which
1: taka is clearly intelligent enough to do it is hugely selfish yes every possible way i'm just gonna escape to a completely different place and I'm not going to worry about how that's going to affect anyone here Mm. or anyone there I'm just going to go
0: it's also massively deluded because who is to say that this universe where the burn never happened doesn't have its own terrible problems I'm sorry but the secret of Star Trek is there is no utopia you have to work for your utopia wherever you are it's a perfect way of putting it Thank you. That's my last intelligent thought for the year. That's why
1: comparing it to our trying to escape politics is very apt, because you don't find your paradise. No, you have to make it. It's it's a bad idea, it's a crazy idea, and it's a selfish idea. And so Ruantarka is actually, yes, the worst
0: the worst. I want to flag that I'm going to jump into another universe and then all my problems will be solved was also Lorca's idea of a good solution. And that also, it's a terrible idea, it's stupid, but it's a really interesting problem for a character to have and it's a really interesting way for a guy to be an antagonist and I actually think that this might be original to Discovery which I'm very impressed by. So well done, everyone. Rowan Tarka is the worst in a whole new way.
1: <laughs> I just finished re-watching Loki because the first thing I did when I got to my friend's house was convince them to watch Loki. You did a good thing. <laughs> and I'm also in the middle of rewatching Fringe, and I'm sort of mm. toward the beginning of the second season, which is where they first are in their second universe. God... I you love know, fringe. universe yes h- universe hopping is certainly something that Marvel has been doing all year which almost is why I started rewatching fringe I want to you know go back to other multiverses and obviously star trek has plenty but I'm already watching star trek so it's always you know I love the idea of parallels and variants and people meeting themselves yes. or friends. Because I'm me, what I'm thinking is so he hops into the other universe and he finds his boyfriend, but what if that boyfriend isn't his boyfriend? Yeah. But it's like that that universe's boyfriend. What does that mean and how does it change and what if his Ruantarka is also there? Does he have to murder himself in order to get his happy ending? Does right. he send his Ruan Tarka back to our universe? Like, what happens? Yes. So, I feel like there are a lot of variables that Ruan Tarka is not thinking about.
0: Yeah. Ruan needs to think about this more.
1: You know, according to the Loki universe, which again is obviously not the mm. same as the Star Trek universe, but according to the Loki universe, two variants meeting... Destroys the universe.
0: <laughs> I mean, according to the Time Variance Authority, and I think we can assume from the events of the series that they are biased. But it
1: does break the timelines, it does create the tree of timelines.
0: It definitely has an impact. I almost wondered as I wandered around the house today, you know doing things and thinking about what I was going to say in this episode, the mention of parallel universes and alternate timelines is thrown in so very casually. Just like the way, at a similar point in Season 2 of Discovery, Kat Cornwell says, blah blah blah, and time travel. And then it turns out, of course, that time travel is the key to Season 2. So I feel like this is not a red herring,
1: but a clue pointing to something bigger.
0: Or it is a red herring. As we know, I'm always wrong.
1: Maybe the DMA is a universe focal point and is the two variants destroying the universe. Yeah. It's, it's Loki. <laughs> Look,
0: at this point, my love for Loki is such that if Tom Hiddleston turned up, I wouldn't even complain. And that is so embarrassing, because if you had asked me at this time last year, I would have said, oh, Loki, ah, oh, he's a bit overrated, right? I mean, Tom Hiddleston thinks he's a bit special, eh? Anyway, <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to flag is that when Ruan was having this whole monologue about his alternate universe, a line of poetry popped into my head listen there's a hell of a good universe next door let's go that's from the poem pity this monster man unkind by E.E. Cummings which is a really interesting poem that I think everyone who is in Doctor Who fandom at some point reads way too much into and then digs too many titles out of but let me read you the whole thing Pity this busy monster. Man unkind. Not. Progress is a comfortable disease. Your victim. Death and life safely beyond. Placed with the bigness of his littleness. Electrons deify one razor blade into a mountain range. Lenses extend. Unwish through curving. Where, when, till unwish. Returns on its unself. A world of made is not a world of born pity poor flesh and trees, poor stars and stones, but never this fine specimen of hypermagical ultra-omnipotence. We doctors know a hopeless case if, listen, there's a hell of a good universe next door, let's go. So it's sort of hopeless and nihilistic, but playing with a lot of the ideas that turn up in this episode. A world of made is not a world of born electrons deify one razor blade into a mountain range. And then we have this whole subplot about Zora and her personhood being interrogated. I think I'm probably reading too much into it in that way where it was 40 degrees today and thinking is hard.
1: But that's so interesting (laughs) to me. It is. I can see why Doctor Who fans (laughs) read too much into it.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely.
1: But... I mean, obviously that last line. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There he is, crazy (laughs) Tarka. And then we have
0: the the storyline about Zora and her personhood and her... I don't want to use this phrase because it's kind of fraught, but her right to life, her claim on existence being debated at the same time as the DMAs. It's really interesting, and I wonder if that's going to be an ongoing parallel, if they're both an artificial entity, a new life form.
1: It's not like this is the first time that Star Trek has interrogated whether artificial life is life. No. And it was interesting that everyone sort of agreed that Zora was sentient and alive, and it was more, what are we going to do with her? Yes. than it was does she exist at all, like with Mm. the doctor or with Data. It was sort of the next step of, okay, you're alive. Now what? What rights do we have to tell her what to do, to ask anything of her, to Mm. expect her not to destroy us all?
0: Or to expect her to give us information that might enable us to destroy us all. One thing that I found interesting was that She has these coordinates, she's keeping them to herself, and Michael orders her to give them up, but Zora has not chosen to be in Starfleet. She was designed and built as a Starfleet computer, but she did not volunteer for this. I found it interesting at the end where Stamets gives her the opportunity to volunteer, but I wish that had been flagged, that she is not actually disobeying orders because she has never signed up to be in Starfleet.
1: And it is similar in ways to the doctor in that the doctor was created for a purpose that was completely different than what his purpose ended up being because he wasn't supposed to be the actual doctor. He was supposed to be a stopgap measure. A rapid antigen test, if you will. And so there is sort of that parallel. But in the doctor's case, he literally comes, he pops into existence with a uniform on. Yes. So... It's almost like he was created to be in Starfleet. And yes. Zora doesn't even have that. She is the ship, and the ship is part of Starfleet. But really, she isn't the ship. She lives in the ship. But she's not actually the ship.
0: It's her body, but she could choose to leave it.
1: Yeah, that it was interesting. when they were talking about extracting her and, and putting yeah. her somewhere else. And it was like... Does she choose to be humanoid? Does she mm. want to be in a different ship? I mean, discovery is kind of important <laughs> to the Federation.
0: You think she'd like to be a less important ship? <laughs>
1: well, I, I just mean that if mm. I was COVID and I decided that she had to be extracted, I mean, I guess he said that the regulation is against any sentience in any ship, which also is like what happened that that's a regulation. I want yes. to know. Yes. But. If I was Starfleet and I was worried about this and I decided at the end of this episode that I didn't trust Zora, I wouldn't leave her in what amounts to the most important ship in the fleet. No,
0: I'd be getting her a synth body. I assumed when he said that, that this season would end.
1: That's what's going to happen, right? Yeah, Yeah,
0: that we'd have Annabelle Wallace in person as Zora, which I was pretty okay with. But... I like having a character who is the ship and here I have to talk about Mass Effect a bit because in the second Mass Effect game an AI is illegally installed in Normandy. Her name is... shoot, I've blanked on her name, this is really embarrassing. Anyway, in the third game she gets a body and so she is both the ship and she is a physical sexy robot lady that you can take on missions and stuff. And that's cool. And I would really enjoy that for Zora if she could be both. She just needs her mobile emitter. Yeah, basically. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know I've said this before. I can't remember if I said it on the podcast or here. This is after my bedtime and I'm sorry. But I I would really like Fick where Zora meets the emergency trading hologram and the doctor. They get to like hang out. Bing. Hang out. Being artificial life forms,
1: Soji can come too. All of the artificial life forms just getting together. Yeah, they can go to a little space bar and not drink. And not drink. <laughs> they can go bowling. <laughs> that was a that was a joke for our Discord group.
0: Yeah. Only Aristophanes and our other Discord members <laughs> will understand that. There's
1: like five people.
0: Yeah. A shout out to you, all of you. Thanks for listening. We love you. <laughs> you made my year a lot better. I have to say that this storyline, which basically required the audience and also Stamets to empathize with Zora, makes me strongly suspect that Book is going to go off on his mission with Ruan Taka and he's going to accidentally empathize with the DMA and then he's going to become the DMA's advocate.
1: Interesting. Well
0: like you say it has an eye it looks like a whale. It has an eye. We're going to empathize with it.
1: And empathy is book's superpower. superpower.
0: Yes I, I I love that I love the idea that someone can go off to
1: Destroy something.
0: Yes. Not out of anger, but out of grief. And still come round. To be honest, to have Book ongoing as a character and to have him continue as Michael's love interest, I don't see how it can end in any
1: other way. Right. Yes, definitely.
0: I really enjoyed the aspect of this storyline where Michael has to balance the personal and professional. And she's done that before with Ash... But that was a different sort of relationship, and I really feel like she and Book are in it for the long haul. But this is the first real challenge that they face, first with his grief and then with Felix choosing to die and now with this decision here. And you can see in her face that for a moment she is willing to stay silent and not defend the DMA out of respect and love for him.
1: That was really, really sad at the end. It was very...
0: I know. I know. Emotional for her. When he puts Grudge in the carrier and she doesn't struggle at all, I was really upset by that. Do you know how long it takes me to get Harvey into his carrier?
1: Yes, I have four cats. (laughs) But to be fair, because I have four cats, I can say that two of them are pretty easy to get into the carrier. So it's a 50-50 shot. Mm-hmm. Grudge clearly is a, is a date queen. She's a good
0: girl and we love her. And I love that Michael is trying to, you know, build a relationship with Grudge the way you would with an angry oh, so potential cute. stepchild. If they want to sell that cat toy, I will totally buy it for
1: Harvey. That cat toy reminded me of a galaxy. Yes. Which is uh, you know solidified my (laughs) belief that actually grudge is the dma (laughs) they're going to show what the dma is and i'm still going to be sitting here and going actually it's grudge grudge.
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think it definitely signifies that the galaxy and its boundaries are a big part of the story and that also book's ability to empathize and create a relationship with an apex predator is going to be really important
1: and just on that the galaxy and its boundaries i liked there was a throwaway line that was like we have representatives from all four quadrants Mm. and i liked that because in 90s trek that's it's huge it's hard you can't get to the other quadrants yeah (laughs) you You can't go there whereas this one is like people just popping in from Mm. wherever
0: It disappointed me that we didn't see any Founders or Vorta or Kazon, but I trust that they were there. You know, being uncomfortable and awkward with one another.
1: (laughs) We didn't get to see everybody. Oh man, the poor Kazon. I have a question for you because you could see Amanda last week and I couldn't. Yes? Did you see a representative of Kaminar?
0: I did not! And I was really puzzled okay. because I felt like Saru should be there as the right. off-world Kamama guy.
1: And instead... My theory... Yes. Go ahead.
0: Oh, instead he's like floating around Discovery, doing important things with Kovic and Zora and all that, and then bringing his sex cactus to Tarina. But yeah, where was our kamana vote?
1: Right, Saru is the obvious choice. Saru Hmm. is their elder, he is their representative, and I think he should have been there. But if he was there, Michael could have asked him to make the speech.
0: Yeah, and obviously it had to be Michael.
1: It had to be her, and so that meant that Saru couldn't be there. But I do think they should have made an effort to put some other Kaminar in there.
0: We should have seen a Kelpian and a Ba'ul.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. we now know what the bow will look like and everything. So, uh, yeah, I think another Kelpian and their little, you know. Yeah. What are those things in Harry Potter? Dementors? They have to throw the Patron- Yeah, the Dementors. Yeah. The Dementors should have been a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> because I spent too much time thinking, why isn't Saru here? Oh, it's a plot convenience. Absolutely, that, I don't want to be thinking that. <laughs> so,
0: I will say I didn't think that until after when I realised I hadn't seen a Kelpian or a Bowl there, and when I say Michael had to be the one to give that speech, I don't mean in a oh she's a Mary Sue she saves every episode by giving a speech way, which is a criticism that I've seen of this episode and. I'm sorry, have you seen an episode or a season of Star Trek The Next Generation? Because Picard gives a lot of speeches. And that is Michael's job. We needed her to be there and we needed her to give that speech. But we also needed to see, if not Saru, any Kelpian.
1: Exactly. I wasn't sitting there going, Saru should be here. And this is why I bring it up and why I'm consider it a complaint, even though I enjoyed the episode and I don't really have anything bad to say about it. But the reason this is a complaint is that I I am focused on that. I am focused on why isn't Saru there and I'm imagining the alternate take where Saru is there mm. and Michael doesn't speak up and Saru starts to and then Michael interrupts and, and yes. does do it. I, I can imagine all of the different ways that this could have been fixed.
0: It's troubling because I do think Saru was necessary in the Zora scenes and I think it's valuable to have the Zora scenes happening at the same time as the wider meeting about the DMA Like, the parallel of Michael's speech against Demets' I think was really, really powerful. But yeah, even if we had just seen some other Kelpian, so we weren't wondering why Saru not here, when he was such a great part of the Navaran conference, I think that would have been
1: useful. Though again, doesn't ruin the episode, but there was one little thing that I feel could have been easily handled
0: and I'm sad that
1: it wasn't (laughs) I guess we'll just have to pretend they are there along with the Kazon someone somewhere
0: I thought it was in our discord but now I'm looking at our discord and I'm not seeing it someone compared it to the war within the war without as an episode that's mostly about
1: talking and relationships and setup it wasn't our discord I think it was opal oh okay but
0: yeah, it reminded me of that episode, and that is my favorite episode of season one. So Exactly. When we criticize for things like Saru not being at the big meeting, that is not to say that we did not love this episode.
1: One other small criticism is, who are these teenagers that run around Discovery <laughs> and just pop into meetings? Without a care in the world. Last week, I was saying that I loved that Gray was just like, I'm going to the bridge, and then did it. And I do. But they did it again, this episode, and it was just like, guys. (laughs) Again, it didn't have to be that way. It could have been Zuru or Hugh either could have said, Gray is good at talking to Zora. We should bring him in. And you know, then Adira
0: like comes along because grinding right. support, right? I agree. Super easy. <laughs> yes, I had the same thought, but then Trek Corps had the same criticism, and I really need to find out who the Trek Corps reviewer is because I love them. They're also like, yeah, where's the Crusher? Did this like once a season for years at least? It's just the rules of Star Trek this is how it goes if you have a teenager on board, and. Yeah, I get that. I respect that. The rules of Star Trek say this works. Yay. Having said that, I agree with you that it could have been handled a bit more smoothly. But as we were saying with the bridge crew last week, they don't handle the things smoothly. Yeah, they're bad at that.
1: <laughs> they don't know how to do that. It was really funny because yeah. they literally just burst in and were like, we're supposed to be here. And I was like, Okay. <laughs>
0: But then Paul has burst in going, oh my god, group hug let's get all very close together and talk like Zora can't overhear us. And clearly Hugh has been listening to this for a couple of days and everyone else is like we're not hugging you, Paul. So (laughs) yeah, everyone comes assuming that everyone else is
1: on the same page as them and they're wrong. So that's a great place to point out that I love Dr. Kovich for his complete denial of that idea. Yes. <laughs> he was like, we're not holding <laughs> secret meetings from Zora. We yeah. are having a meeting about Zora with Zora.
0: Yeah. Nothing about us without us.
1: Talk about the best psychiatrist that I've seen in fiction. Not even just Star Trek. But boundaries, amazing. Good job. You
0: know that I have very strong feelings about Admiral Cornwell and I love her a lot and I've written a lot of fic about her, but... You would
1: have 100% had that secret meeting.
0: Oh yeah, I actually think Kovic is the better psychiatrist. (laughs) I do think that there are questions to be answered about Zora and privacy...
1: She's omnipotent and omnipresent.
0: Like, is she watching Hugh and Paul have sex? According
1: to her dreams? Yes.
0: I mean, Zora, you shouldn't be. I understand these things happen in your subconscious, but you need to set a program where people can
1: exclude you. I think that a sentient computer program Mm. that is meant to help the crew with whatever they need and do all of the ship duties, I think that, yeah, it wouldn't be the default. The default would be to be watching at all times and to be eavesdropping and yeah, always there and not really understand boundaries at all. Like, again, Data didn't really understand boundaries either.
0: True. Maybe this is something that Zora has to learn as the season continues you know this season is not complete I just do think that hey Zora we need some privacy from you is a conversation that
1: people are gonna have to have Paul would 100% do that from now on I feel (laughs) like though if they're hissing and they're like wait and Paul would stop and be like Zora goodbye Zora watch someone else you know so I can imagine him doing that
0: You know, just on Wednesday, I set up a Google Nest in my bedroom, and it's not that a lot happens in my bedroom, but now I'm like, hmm,
1: hmm, and frankly, I trust Zora more than Google. That's such a sad statement, but true. I was on a panel, I think I've mentioned before that I was on a panel that was about AI, basically, Mm. and I said that you know we talk to our phones and we talk to our Alexas Mm -hmm. and absolutely the algorithm is set up so that it starts to think it knows what you're going to be asking for yes right and it's pretty darn good i will be for example watching an episode the Discovery, and I'll put in ST, and it'll fill in Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. Or you put in S, and it's like, Snooker, Martin, Green, and I'm like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you know, your phone can be completely off, and you can have a conversation about something, and then you turn your phone on, and it's trying to sell you that thing.
0: Yeah. And
1: that's terrifying, and really worrisome, but... It is a version of artificial intelligence and what I was saying on my panel is after like 50 years of using Google, we're putting all of this into it, it wouldn't be surprising to me for Google to come alive. And what's really interesting about that is what is Google at that point? Is Google going to destroy the world? Because more people type in terrible things than good things or is google gonna be like zora where you know humans are default good and we just want information that's a terrifying interesting thing to think Mm. about we are playing with a lot of information yeah and a lot of different ways of looking at that information and finding that information. And we have seen how misinformation can infect people to the point where I I read this article about people who were at the January 6th insurrection and their family members and they're like, they were a completely normal person Mm. and then within six months they were storming the White House and we don't know how that like it we don't understand how that happened and it was because they fell into these you know QAnon cult type places but it's like it starts out very innocent it starts out with one ad it starts out with one you know weird Facebook group rabbit hole So it's scary out there, but because of that, because of how people use and manipulate information, Mm. it is not a crazy leap for me to imagine the computer figuring out how to do it too.
0: Yeah, and I think this was sort of the unfollowed path that we saw with Control in Season 2. You know, what if this computer was fed misinformation? What if this computer was subject to propaganda and did not believe that peace was possible, and I still wish they had done that with Control. It is probably not where they're going with Zora, but it would be interesting, and I understand why Hugh feels the way he
1: does. I have to say that because I have such strong negative feelings about Season 2, every time they mention Control or the Sphere data, I get kind of witchy. No, no, no. I I like any time when people have emotional continuity. That's a good thing. Because sometimes even serial, like Discovery, doesn't happen every time. So I like that Paul had these issues, but it was not sold to me in season two. Season two did not tell that story well enough for me to believe it and invest in it in season four.
0: Apparently, there was a cutscene in Season 2 where someone refers to the Zora program as a more sophisticated version of Control, and Mm. I read that on Memory Alpha, and I was like, "Mm. no, no, just no.
1: (laughs) No, I don't, again, that was a poorly told storyline, in my opinion. I have to say, because people... Yeah. There was a lot of chatter online this week about people reviewing things and not making it clear that it's their opinion. And I think that that is a reader's fault, not a writer's fault, more often than not, because I I think it's implied. Yeah. Yeah. But I am going to say, in my opinion... The second season was not told well, and in particular the control storyline. So, I struggle with it now. I think being... we call
0: that the official antimatopod opinion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry,
0: I should not have had three
1: cocktails before we recorded. <laughs> We're five. People are gonna be like, "Wow, Annika was kind of tired." <laughs> Liz was a little tipsy. Look, compared with The Greatest
0: Journal and they do their drunkasodes, I think we're doing great. We're doing amazing. In that only one okay. of us is drunk. Okay, we're at an hour. Let's wrap up. What would you like to see in the second half of the season?
1: Well, we discussed, and I've been saying since... The DMA was introduced that I want Book to, I want a Ezra and the Space Whale story with Book and the Mm. DMA, which you described earlier. So I still want that because I agree with you. I like the idea of someone going after the creature with ill intent and... Being what? transformed. That's yeah. you know—that's like the story of the Horta. And that's my favorite TOS episode. Taming dragons is mm. my favorite trope. So I want that. No, I think that's great. I want Michael and Book to end in a good place. Yes. It's fine to have drama, but I don't... It will feel like manufactured drama if they don't discuss it. But... Come to a better understanding of their relationship. Agreed. Like Starfleet, Starfleet is going to continue being a problem in their relationship if they don't talk about it. So I don't want it to be like we've shown up and you're on our side again, and so now we're fine. That's not good. But I also don't want this to be. I don't want them to break up, and I don't want them to. You know, I don't want. To, <laughs> oh my God! I just thought of Book dying, and I'm. Oh no! Don't no, want that. No, no. No no, 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 no. I also don't want Book to actually pull an Ezra and leave with the space whales. <laughs> Not that. Oh, dear. No. Now I'm down terrible rabbit holes. I am trying to decide what I want for Ruan Tarka. <sighs> because. Yeah. You know, how do you solve a problem like Ruan Tarka? Well,
0: we've just found our episode title. <laughs> I feel like we can't solve his problem. I feel like the best solution for him is for him to reach his other universe and go, okay, everything's going to be great. And then something happens, like someone turns up like alternative Ruan Taka and he realizes that it's not going to be great. Then it's done. Like we cut to the main universe. His story is done. Goodbye.
1: The internet would hate that, Liz. There would be so much uproar.
0: I give so few fucks about what the (laughs) internet thinks.
1: I'm just saying, we'd be arguing about that for months.
0: Look, in 25 years, we can get the Ruantaka series that makes it all make sense. We have the Book of Boba Fett, so, you know... Give us time and we can have a reasonable discussion about this.
1: I just want to put it out there and say Ruan Darka is not a character (laughs) on par with Boba Fett, okay? I'm sorry.
0: I apologize for insulting Boba Fett by the comparison.
1: I will say, though, that Sean Doyle continues to be really good in this role.
0: He is very,
1: very good. I really enjoy his work. Listen to that monologue about the alternate universe mm. and i <laughs> ate it the entire time but he sold it i wanted to care and i was angry i i was angry that i wanted to care so good job i I liked the little teaser of what's to come oh my gosh we see Nan again i'm so happy yeah right it was it was fun. It's, yeah, you, you get excited. It was a well done "To Be Continued." Yes, none so. of the bridge crew
0: gave a weird monologue about their feelings and their trauma this episode, and that's really, no one
1: did. Not, really, all I needed. The,
0: the delegates, nobody had a <laughs>
1: ridiculous thing.
0: The closest we came was Ruan Taka, and that had been foreshadowed, so I was already engaged. Mm. Mm. Also, I need to shout out our recent guest recent-ish guest, Tim, for pointing out that I was very wrong when I said that Enterprise was the first time that Star Trek, that 90s Trek, had learned to tell a story over multiple episodes. Obviously, Deep Space Nine exists, and I forgot.
1: I think that Deep Space Nine did it differently. Enterprise did it deliberately, and Deep Space Nine did it with deliberation. I feel like... I feel semantics, like but,
0: No, no, I it makes sense to me because I feel like Deep Space Nine got away with it because it was syndicated and because Rick Berman was not paying attention. Whereas Enterprise had Rick Berman actually writing stuff and still managed to tell stories over multiple episodes. I said this on Twitter but to me, Enterprise is more of a successor to Voyager than to Deep Space Nine.
1: For sure. I mean they're both the UPN ones, so
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's also the other connection. But at the same time, Tim was not wrong that Face Nine really pioneered the arc for Star Trek. So yeah, sorry, I forgot that series. Please outro us so I can go and drink more
1: with my flatmate. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Anti Pod. Let me try that again. <laughs> I'm going back to bed. Thank you for listening to AntimatterPod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr, all at antimatterpod. And write us at mailantimatterpod.com. At if you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. I will note that Spotify finally set up a way for you to leave reviews on spotify so go for it uh the more reviews the easier it is for new listeners to find us you can also tell people about us or give us a shout out on social media we're just a few weeks away from recording our 100th episode which might be about prodigy i think it's (laughs) gonna be yeah and giving away free stuff for our audience so get those reviews in now Join us next week when we will be returning to Star Trek Prodigy. I am very happy.